Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Everyone and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the College Football Writer with the Associated Press. This week we preview the Big 12 with Max Olson from the Athletic. Oklahoma has a new transfer quarterback. How will Jalen Hurts fit into Lincoln Riley's offense? Texas enters the season with high hopes, and so does Iowa State. The conference has four new coaches, including Les Miles at Kansas in one of the more unusual marriages of the offseason. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at Podcast One and Apple Podcast and just about anywhere you get your podcast. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of AP's college football coverage. And away we go. We are previewing the Big 12 today here on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, and it has become a tradition. I bring in Max Olson from The Athletic to do so. Now, Max covers all of college football from coast to coast. He is a national writer for The Athletic, but he does a particularly good job with Big 12 stuff because he has lived in Big 12 country for quite some time. So that's why I like to bring on Max to talk a little Big 12. Thank you very much for joining me today, Max, and doing this again. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for having me on. So it's kind of an interesting year in the Big 12 in that you have four new coaches. You still have Oklahoma as the favorite. Texas is back, so to speak. And we're kind of looking for who might be the other team to contend. So I think the popular question around the Big 12 these days has been, Who's the third best team going into this season in the Big 12? If Oklahoma is the favorite and Texas is a challenger, you know, where is that other team? Because the Big 12 has made a reputation of being sort of like a very deep league. Teams pop up here and there. Uh, it seems like you get the middle class of the Big 12. Often, like, you get a challenger from in there. Who's the challenger this year that's going to come from the middle class of the Big 12? It's a great question. I, I've been really pumping Iowa State throughout this offseason. I'm really uh, a big believer, uh, not just in Matt Campbell, but just kind of specifically where they're at uh, in their their process of building up that program. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not just because they have a returning quarterback, although I think they have a very promising one in Brock Purdy who – you know, they threw into the fire in Big 12 play last season, and, and he, he really shined uh, as a true freshman. Um, but I just I really like where that program's at overall, where uh, even with losing some veterans on defense, they've still got uh, key guys at every level of that defense. Uh, some really good leadership. Um, you know, they lose an NFL running back in, in David Montgomery. They, they lose an NFL wide receiver in Dakeem Butler. Uh, how they replace the production of those guys, I think, is a, an interesting question mark. But um, you know, I, I like this Iowa State team if they can stay healthy. The, the fun thing, though, with this league this year is, you know, I had a really hard time sort of sorting the teams from three to six in the Big 12 because I think Baylor's close uh, to, to, to where Iowa State's at. I think TCU and Oklahoma State um, are not far off either and, and, and are both trying to bounce back from, um, you know, disappointing seasons, I guess, by their standards and by their their coach's experience. And, uh, you know, we're also trying to solve, uh, you know, unknowns at quarterback there. But uh, I, I, I've always kind of felt like this Oklahoma State team and TCU were kind of the wild cards in the Big 12 when, when trying to sort of do the preseason standings. And, uh, you know, if you, if you told me one of them was going to go out and win nine games, I wouldn't be that shocked. And if you told me that a bunch of those teams end up just winning six or seven games, I, I guess I wouldn't be that surprised either because the Big 12 is – I think for the most part, um, you know, does have really good parity. And I, and I feel like most weeks we see a lot of these games just come down to, to one score or one turnover or, or, or something crazy. Let's lump some teams together here. And you and you did a good job of leading me to that already with Oklahoma State and TCU. Two teams with excellent coaches, Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State and Gary Patterson at TCU. And also a history of success that suggests that you should not underestimate the coaches or the programs, maybe they have a hard time getting over the hump and knocking off Oklahoma to win the conference. But nonetheless, they, these are a couple of coaches and a couple of programs that often do their best work 
when they are a bit underestimated, especially TCU. Yeah, there's no doubt that's the case for TCU. You know, we, we've seen uh, the, their ability to bounce back. Um, you know, when, when they went and had their first really bad season in the Big 12, they, they found Trevon Boykin and changed the offense and bounced back and, um, you know, were, were playing for Big 12 titles. And, you know, when they went 6-7 and seven in 2016, um, you know, they bounced back in, in 2017 and went 11 and three and played in the big 12 title game. Um, so I, this is, it, it does feel similar, um, in, in the sense that, um, you know, I think this TCU team was, uh, you know, it, it's funny that they, they, they had such a high profile early in the season when you play that game against Ohio state and Dallas and you, you watched them for two, three quarters feel like, wow, they've, they've got real speed. Like they can kind of hang with Ohio state. This is pretty encouraging for where they at and uh you know they they just had so many injuries um and 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 really kind of fell apart down the stretch now they miraculously found a way uh to win enough games to get to a bowl and then played you know one of the the best bad bowl games we've ever seen in the cheese <laughs> yes. bowl um but um it, it you know the the i liked how that team rallied back last year when they you know i i looked to me like they weren't going to go bowling and uh you know they've still got a ton of really good talented guys back on defense and They've got, uh, you know, one of the best playmakers in the Big 12 in Jalen Rager. Um, you know, you, you, you feel like they're, they're okay on the offensive line. It's just the quarterback deal. And they don't have Matthew Baldwin, the Ohio State transfer. He's not going to be eligible. Uh, you know, you have Kansas, Kansas State transfer Alex Delton, who has had a lot of ups and downs in his time with the Wildcats, and, and they felt like he brought some steadiness this spring. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, they didn't have Mike Collins in the spring. It's really a, a really interesting wide open battle there at quarterback. And I feel like if you told me today who that quarterback's going to be for 12 games, I could probably tell you how TC is going to do, but I just think that's going to be kind of fluid over the course of the season when you've got um, some, some solid older guys and you've got some kind of promising young guys that you don't know what they can do yet. And Oklahoma state again, a similar boat in that all of a sudden they're coming off of a little bit of a down year in some ways, it's funny, I, I think there's a lot of buy-in on Patterson because he's established some of this bounce-back credibility, and they clearly had some issues at quarterback and a ton of injuries, so it was easy, it's, I feel like it's a little easier to predict a bounce-back from TCU, where I think the bounce-back, there seems to be a little more skepticism at o- for Oklahoma State, whether they could have a big bounce-back. There were some moments last year when Oklahoma State looked very much like Oklahoma State, but they were a weird team last year. You know, listen, a lot of that I think had to do with just turnover at key positions, especially quarterback. Oh yeah, definitely. I, you know, they were a fascinating team last year because you know they beat Texas in Stillwater, they beat West Virginia, which which you know in a critical game in November at home, uh, they they were a play away from beating Oklahoma last year. But then they lose, you know, they lose to Texas Tech. They get blown out at home by Texas Tech. They, you know, they lose. Uh, at Baylor, um, you know they lose at TCU to end the se- to end the regular season. Yeah, lost that um, it, it lost a, that Kansas State, but beat Boise State. You know had some really right, nice had some right. really nice wins, but also some some really puzzling performances, especially away from home. Yeah, yeah, and that was a good Boise State team when they played them. So it, you know you saw the potential there. It was just kind of all over the place. And uh, the the interesting thing over the course of that shaky season is that Mike Gundy really refused to play the two quarterbacks that that are now competing for the job now, Drew Brown and, and Spencer Sanders. He redshirted both of them and, and just rolled with Taylor Cornelius and rolled with the veteran and trusted him. And, um, you know, the, they, the, you know, that makes their, their quarterback deal now, uh, you know, a bit of a mystery. Um, Drew Brown was a, a grad transfer from Hawaii that they were able to redshirt. Uh, Spencer Sanders is, is a really talented player uh, out of the state of Texas who, uh, was a freshman last year, redshirted him. He was coming back from from an injury, but um, you know it, it it makes for you know that that question mark there certainly is going to affect their their upside and, and their ceiling quite a bit. But uh, they've got a really really good running back in, in Chuba Hubbard. They've got Tylen Wallace, who was one of the best wideouts in the country last year. You, you feel like you're they're in okay shape in terms of bringing back the the offensive line, and then you know on defense with. Uh, Jim Knowles, who they hired away from Duke last year, uh, you, I think you saw flashes that they could be really good. They've got some good players in the secondary, especially you've got some good pieces, I think, potentially at linebacker. But, um, you know, it's it's, it's still kind of coming together for them on defense. But they're, you know, I know talking to other Big 12 coaches, they were impressed at times by what uh, Jim Knowles was trying to do there. And I think give him another year of getting the hang of the, the Big 12. And, you know, they really, you know, if they figure out quarterback, they could definitely bounce back in a big way. You mentioned figuring things out on defense and the other team that's sort of in that group 
or this particular grouping, we'll throw Baylor in there. As you said, they seem to be, which would make sense because Matt Campbell has, a, I think, a year head start on Matt Rule. Baylor seems to be moving along in, in its progression as a program, uh, somewhat similarly to the way Matt uh, Campbell did at Iowa State. So they're in year three of a pretty massive rebuild, took a big step forward last year. Uh, a lot of times the next steps after that are even tougher. You, you take a big step forward and then you take sort of incremental steps in the building process. Baylor's defense was pretty bad last year. They made some great strides on offense, but for a, you know for a coach and and, and Matt, I don't I don't necessarily consider Matt Rule a defensive coach, but when he's had good teams, when he had really good teams at Temple, they played some pretty scrappy defense, and they just haven't been able to figure out that side of the ball yet. Now a lot of youth has a lot to explain of that, and maybe guys just get older, bigger, and stronger, and that cleans some of that up. Do you sense that's what they're banking on at Baylor this year? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, I remember talking with Matt Rule in the middle of last season, and, and I think it was after they had just beat Kansas State, and he said, you know, he he was excited about uh, you know where they were headed, but just finding an identity on defense had had just been such a struggle, and and I think that's continued to be the case. Um, you know, he they they have good veteran pieces back on defense. They have James Lynch and Bravion Roy up front. You've got uh, Blake Lynch, who's a, a really interesting piece as a kind of a linebacker nickel type. you got Clay Johnson, who was one of the Big 12 tackle leaders. I think he might have been the, the Big 12 tackle leader, but uh, they got to get a lot better in the secondary, and you've got some experience there. So, you know, I think they, they could, you know, put together a lineup that has a, a bunch of juniors and seniors, and, and, and maybe there's, you know, an opportunity there to, to be a lot better uh, defensively. And, you know, the big challenge for them through two years is just, uh, when they got there, they were really in bad shape on the offensive and defensive lines and, and just building and developing the depth there. Um, you, you feel like they're finally kind of at a place where, where they, you know, I think that's one, one of Matt Rule's big takeaways in playing in, in the big 12 is, uh, you know, it's not just about the speed and, and about the quarterback and stuff like that, but you really do have to be able to hang with these guys in, in the trenches. And, and Baylor really has a, had a hard time doing that. They've had times when they've had to play, you know, converted tight ends on the offensive line and guys who were 270, 280 pounds. And I think they finally feel like they're at a point uh, where, where that's solidified, where you've got guys that, um, you know, are, are closer to 300 plus pounds and you, you feel like there's some steadiness there. So uh, you, you take that, you combine it with, a, I think, the, a really good quarterback in Charlie Brewer. And, and I think enough weapons on offense to, to put up some points. Um, yeah, that's, that's how Baylor turned it around last season. Uh, they, they played a lot smarter. Uh, you know, they, it's just a matter of kind of can they play good enough defense to, to actually be, you know, in Big 12 contention in November. And, and that's something that's eluded them so far. Um, going from one win to seven, obviously a very impressive step. And, and, and you love what Matt Rule's done there. So, yeah, jump, you said it, jumping to eight, nine wins. That's, that's, I think that's going to be a much tougher step, and especially in a league that's this tight. But um, I, I feel like they're definitely heading in the right direction. I also feel like one of the interesting storylines of the Big 12 this year is if Baylor continues to progress, if Iowa State, as a lot of people think, could take a, a small step forward and have another really good year. I mean, you know, listen, for Iowa State, if you start stringing together eight and nine win seasons, that's pretty impressive. That doesn't happen very often at Iowa State. With Matt Rule and Matt Campbell, those are guys who already drew not just co- other college interest. But NFL interest. Now, Matt Campbell took one route, and he sort of passed. Just said, no, no, thank you. I'm not even going to you know, take the interviews. Thank you for the interest. Matt Rule, who has NFL in his background, took a little bit of a different route. And he took some of those interviews. I, I think, and I don't know how serious he was about any of those jobs, but I think he also looked at it and said, you know, it's it maybe in my benefit and my program's benefit to at least be upfront about it, but talk to some folks. But I think it'll be really interesting as these programs grow what happens this year when those cycles come through, NFL possibilities, other college jobs open up. Because these are two very highly highly thought of coaches at a couple of places that, again, they're not always easy to win. And like I said, I'm just interested to see how those things play out this year because I think it'll be sort of the backdrop to the season if these teams have good seasons. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, it's funny. I, I get asked a lot, um, like, hey, is this going to be Matt Campbell's last season at Iowa State? Like, he's got to be moving on to bigger and better things. And, you know, I'll tell you what, like, I, that, that's just not Matt Campbell. He, he's just a different cat. He's not motivated uh, by money. He's not motivated by – you know, being considered one of the 
you know, best, best and biggest coaches in the country. Like he really loves what he has in Ames. Um, I, I think he's very, very comfortable there. He, he saw Iowa state as, as a sleeping giant. Um, and, and he, you know, he watched guys like Gary Patterson and, and Bill Center, Mike Gundy, and the way they turned their programs into really consistent contenders. And, and I think he admired that and, and wanted to do the same in Ames. And his, his name gets brought up for jobs, but you never see him going and interviewing for these jobs. He, he's, he's, you know, I think the, the, the actions have, have always matched up with the words that, yeah, he's turned it into extensions and, and more money for his staff and stuff like that. But, you know, I think Tennessee came after him multiple times and he, he couldn't have had any less interest in that one when that was open. So like there's, there's been a bunch of jobs like that, that just don't appeal to him. And, and, and honestly, other than maybe jobs like Ohio state or Notre Dame, which I don't think are going to open up soon. Uh, I, I just have a hard time seeing what job could lure him away from Ames. He, he really loves it there that much and, and, and really believes, you know, that much in what they're doing. And then, you know, Matt rule, it's, it's been a delicate dance for Matt rule because, you know, he's, 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 I think he's tried to be very upfront with his players and with his AD that, Hey, if, if the NFL calls, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that call and listen and, and, and see what happens. And, you know, it happened first year with the Colts. Obviously I think the Colts were not probably a tough PR spend to hire a one in 11 coach out of the college ranks. Uh, last year, the, the Jets tried to hire him, but, but also tried to kind of do an arranged marriage thing where, where, I believe Greg Williams would be his DC and he was not very, you know, enthusiastic about being told who he had to hire for that. So can I, can uh, I just, so can, can I also part. just interject here? I think it speaks well of Matt Campbell that he didn't want to be strapped with Greg Williams, but I'll just move on with that. Oh, you said, you said Matt Campbell. Though. Oh, excuse me, Matt rule. It's, yeah, it speaks well of Matt rule that, that he did not want to be strapped with. Uh, I don't Greg think Williams. either of those guys is a good fit with Greg Williams. Yeah. That. Yeah. Anyway. But, um, but yeah, no, Matt rule, you know, didn't, didn't want to go for that kind of deal. And, and look, I, I think that I, obviously that makes it tough because you've got players and recruits who are asking, hey, how long are you going to be here? Like, how committed are you to this thing? And, and I think he's tried to be upfront with them that, you know, those are, those are really, those are huge opportunities that you at least got to kind of see what's, what's out there. But, um, you know, I, I think as Baylor continues to have success, like I just know Matt Rule has so many folks in the NFL ranks who, who really respect him. And, yeah. um, you know, he, he did a little bit of time at that level. But uh, I, I think as, as Baylor continues to succeed, uh, it's going to continue to happen. There's going to continue to be more and more NFL teams that put them on their list that, that want to talk to him. And so kind of what, what's going to be the right job for him someday, or, or will he ultimately find maybe the grass is not greener and that he'd rather, you know, maybe stay put in with this long-term deal he has in Waco. Yeah. The, the thing with Campbell, I think that could be interesting is if a job like, and we'll, it'll all go back to USC this year. Every time we talk about coaching carousel, if a job like USC comes open, USC is in such a state of, of dysfunction, not just at the, okay, we, we maybe don't have the right coach. It becomes AD, president. What is going on in this in this school uh, throughout the administration? That I have a hard time seeing a guy like Matt Campbell embrace, but you could also see if they were to do some things within the administration, bring in a real AD, if they could mm. sell him on a vision of, wait a second, we're ready to do things very different here. And we want you, we like your vision, and we want your vision to be the person. But uh, you got to tell you something else, though. Matt Campbell in L.A., <laughs> it, it, it seems like an interesting fit, right? You like, know, it, but it, <laughs> the thing is, like, this is, you know, I, I just don't think he wants that drama, whether it's right. USC or Auburn or any of these programs that may be opening up. Like, I, I don't think he probably finds that very appealing. This is a guy who's lived in Ohio pretty much his entire life. I think his life's ambition was to be the head coach of Mountain Union. So yeah, I, 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 I think he, I, honestly, point. I think... The, the preference is to to stay in the Midwest where you're comfortable. And, and yeah, Matt Campbell in LA, that would be a, a pretty wild experiment. But I think just with the, kind of the way he operates that, that would be, you, I mean, that would be pretty, pretty stunning if, if that was what he felt like was the next step. But the, Hey, you know what? This, this, this comes with success. You know, I think he's a name that I think has impressed everybody just in the way he operates, the way he builds. And uh, yeah, I think Iowa state fans are going to have to continue to deal with, his name being brought up for these things, but boy, I think it'd take something really special for him to leave. I actually think he would do a fabulous job at USC, but again, I think because USC really needs a, because you know, for, quite frankly, I think Clay Helton's is, is a lot like Matt Campbell, but I think Matt Campbell's just sort of better at the job. Like I think they hired Clay Helton to a certain degree because they wanted just a good 
dude and a good, you know, a, sort of a solid football lifer who would bring a different, a little less drama and a different sort of mindset to that job and a little less glitz. To be honest, that's exactly what Matt Campbell is. That's one of the reasons why they hired Clay Helton. I, I don't want to ruin I, Iowa State's fans' day by continually talking about where the, their coach is going to be heading. I think you're right. I don't think it, it's a natural fit. But boy, I think if a clear-eyed AD, you know, who came in there and sort of cleaned up the athletic program, put things on the right path and said, Matt, come here, do your thing, and we're just going to be a good old-fashioned football program now and try to shield ourselves off from the drama, I think it'd be a great, great fit out there. Now, here's, here's, let, me, let me just throw sure. a crazy one at you here, and sure. I'm not trying to make any fans mad, but like, what if it's more of a musical chairs thing where, where what if like a James Franklin yeah. gets USC and then Penn state looks at a guy like Matt Campbell and says, this guy really fits our type of community. Yeah. Know? That, that would also work really well as too. That's the scenario that, that seems to make a lot of sense to me again, cultural fit and a guy who in James Franklin, who might be interested in the challenge of what the big spotlight at USC would provide. So we're going to, I'm so sorry. Iowa state fans. I, I should take that back. I don't want you guys yelling at me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I and I love the fact that he's there at Iowa State and doing really well and it really you know I'm I'm really inclined to to pick Iowa State to do very big things this year because I, I am all in on Matt Campbell and have been for quite some time. So, I'm going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about another coach who the the NFL sort of has its eye on and how his team is going to do this season at the very top of the Big 12. I'm talking with Max Olson from The Athletic and we'll be back right after this. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast Big 12 Preview Edition. Max Olson from The Athletic. He's a national college football writer with a keen and, and a keen interest and a lot of information on the Big 12. So I like to bring Max in to talk Big 12. So, yeah, we talked about Matt Campbell and Matt Rule and their NFL interests. Well, at the very top of the Big 12, Oklahoma has created a monster. They've won the Big 12 is three straight years now, right? If I remember That's, correctly, uh, I believe or are they on four now? Wait, shoot, it's four, isn't it? You know what they are? They're on, I think, four straight now. Big 12 titles. Because it, one of the years when they didn't make the playoff, they also won the Big 12. That's right. Lincoln Riley, his first two seasons there, have produced two Heisman Trophy winners. And he, of course, is a handsome coach with a really good offensive background. So, of course, that's, that's the, the flavor of the week, flavor of the day in the NFL. I was almost a little surprised that you didn't have a little more interest in Lincoln Riley uh, from the NFL last year, though to a certain degree, Joe Castiglione in Oklahoma cut that off at the pass by locking him up early on. But again, sure. like you know, he he is now the blueprint of what NFL coaches want. We'll see how long that lasts. I mean, that, that's why Cliff Kingsbury landed in the uh, in the NFL. What can Lincoln Riley do this year? with Jalen Hurts? I think that's the $64,000 question in Soonerland. We expect another big year out of the Oklahoma quarterback because we always get big years out of the Oklahoma quarterback, but will it look a little different this year with Jalen Hurts? Yes and no. I, I think that um, the, the the challenge for Jalen Hurts is we got to keep in mind this is his fourth offensive coordinator in four years. You know, we, we, we saw what he did with Lane Kiffin. It was very promising. Then he goes to Brian Dable. Then he goes to working with Dan Enos and Mike Loxley last year. And now he moves on to, you know, the best offense in the country. And, hey, Jalen, can you please conform a little bit to what we're doing? But at the same time, Oklahoma, I think, can adjust a little bit around his talents and, uh, you know, kind of add more of that, that, that power run game that he can, can bring and stuff like that. Look, they've got a lot of great pieces around them. Uh, C.D. Lamb is, is phenomenal. They've got a deep collection of backs that have, are, are all very efficient. Um, Grant Calcaterra is one of the best tight ends in the country. You know, they're replacing a bunch of guys on the offensive line. Um, Creed Humphrey's really good at center, but they're kind of replacing everybody else. So kind of how that comes together is, is certainly a factor. But, you know, again, they've got one of the best O-line coaches in the country and Bill Beanbow. So uh, you, you sort of assume all that stuff's going to come together. The, the thing that you, you got to ask is kind of what is Jalen Hurts ceiling? And I think we saw last season in, in very limited playing time and, and a lot of it mop-up time that he was, uh, you know, he played his most efficient season yet uh, as a passer. So I, I think, you know, he kind of has, uh, I think, quietly made a lot of progress there, um, you know, in, in backing up Tua. But uh, what does that look like? Can, can he kind of make the reads and all the throws that, that Baker and Kyler did? Um, you know, I think you, you saw in the spring game as a work in progress. And look, Lincoln Riley will tell you it's not over yet. He, they, they, they love uh, Tanner Mordecai, uh, his his. Uh, you know, he's a guy who's been in the program a couple of years, knows the offense, learned from Baker and, and 
and it kind of has that kind of scrappy underdog kind of mentality. And then they brought in one of the best quarterbacks in the country and Spencer Rattler. So that, you know, Lincoln Riley would tell you the competition's not over. Well, I, but I'm, Max, I'm Max, sure it'll he, still be Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I, I, there's he, no he, doubt about that. Lincoln but, played uh, also. Lincoln also played this last year with Kyler and Austin Kendall. So. Oh sure, <laughs> he said it was the closest battle ever. So right. I imagine he'll probably say that. The same now, but but he gets mad if anyone says that uh, that, that 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 this is uh, decided that Jalen's a starter. But yeah, I think Jalen hurts. Uh, I think he's going to be great in this offense. I think they're going to find ways to adjust to what he does, and uh, I think he's just got so much talent around him that he's he's really set up to succeed uh, as long as he's healthy. So on the other side of the ball, that's been where the Sooners have had their issues, and they swiped Alex, Alex Grinch, uh, a very promising defensive coordinator, away from Ohio State. Grinch really made his name at. Washington State with Mike Leach doing a, a lot with kind of spare parts. So uh, Washington State does not recruit a lot of elite defensive talent, but they always manage to sort of piece things together defensively. But there has been a sense at Oklahoma, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think there's been a sense at Oklahoma that it's not just how we're lining these guys up. They've been picking bad defensive players. They, they have not recruited mm-hmm. well on that side of the ball. So I would ask you, how much impact do you think Grinch can have this year if really the core problem at Oklahoma has been poor acquisition of talent? It's funny. Lincoln Riley has said from you know the time he was handed the keys as the head coach there, uh, you know, he said for a while that that he, you know, they don't have the depth on defense, especially up front, that they should have that that, that they do have on offense. And so, yeah, the recruiting piece is a big part of it, and I think that's important to keep that perspective because, you know, he, <laughs> Alex Grinch just got there. I mean, they're 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 doing a nice job in the 2020 class, but it's going to take several years to get those guys in the program and caught up and and taught up and everything. So. Uh, you are trying to turn it around on that front, but you, you're trying to make as much progress as you can uh, with this group. And, 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 you know, it's funny because it's like, what's the, what's the bar, right? Like what's, what, where, where do they need to get to on defense to be, you know, the best team in the country the past couple of years, it, you know, when you have one of the worst defenses in the country, it's like, it, 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 if you could have had like the 50th or 40th best defense in the country, you, you probably win a national title or, or, or multiple national titles. So, I don't think like where, where, where Oklahoma is at offensively, like they don't have to have a top 25 defense under Alex Grinch this season at all to, to be, you know, in the playoff to win another big 12 title five in a row. Um, but they, they've got to make progress and they've got to instill a lot more confidence. And, and I think in being around some of their players at media days, like they're saying all the right things, but um, that's a group that just really fell apart over the course of the season, you know, lost their DC in the middle of the season that um, you need to inject a lot more confidence there. I, I like what, how Grinch has gone about it in, in really emphasizing uh, forcing more turnovers and, and kind of trying to change the mentality around there. And I, I think that was one of the best hires in the country and one that we probably didn't talk about enough this offseason. But, um, you know, you, you don't have to take them that far to, to win another Big 12 title. But, uh, you know, if, if Oklahoma wants to be in the national title hunt, like it, it's going to take big, big progress and, and – Staying healthy on defense because I, I agree. I just don't think they have the depth that these teams like, you know, Alabama and, and Clemson and Georgia do on that side of the ball. There's, there's no question. Okay. So Texas is back. We've established Texas is back. Uh, and I kid around, but I think we've even had this conversation on this podcast. But we say that tongue in cheek. But I think what Texas is back means now is I'm fairly confident Texas is good again. I think they're going to be good this year. Whether they are going to reach the ceiling of the program, whether they're going to take another big step forward after a nice step forward next year, I question a little bit of that. I think this could be a year where they're still relying on a lot of young players, freshmen, sophomore, from these really good recruiting classes to be big producers automatically. In other words, the most talented players on the team are the underclassmen, and they're still sort of cycling through the upperclassmen who have sort of bought in and been bridges, but I don't know how much you're going to be able to expect as far as, again, like taking a a 10-win team and making it an 11-win team. So what I've been sort of saying, my line on Texas this offseason has been, I think they'll be just about as good as they were last year. I think they could take it. It could be another positive step forward in development, but I don't know if the record's going to be much better this year. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I, I think that it's interesting when you start to see people, you know, give Texas like a top five ranking or put them in their playoff projections and stuff like that. 
I kind of feel like I'm inclined to say Texas is, is more of a year away from you, from you us going into a season saying, wow, Texas is has, has all the makings of a playoff team. I just don't think this is that year. I could be wrong, but um, you know, it, it's going to take, like, I, I really like what they have on defense. It's just, none of those guys are, are, are proven. Like you've got a, you're, you're leaning on a, a ton of true sophomores. Um, you've got, Three true sophomores in, in Anthony Cook, Jalen Green, and Deshaun Jameson at cornerback. And and then the Big 12, it's, it, it's not a fun lead to have young corners. Um, you, you're leaning on um, guys like Idelia Doy at, at linebacker and Joseph Osai, who have heard nothing but good, good things about. You've got a redshirt freshman at nose tackle. I mean, you, you, you're, you, you've you got, you know, Caden Stearns and, and B.J. Foster showed you a lot last year, but but they were true freshmen. So I to me, it, it's it's really up to those guys. And if they make a, a real leap this off season and, 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 you know, through August and, and into this opener here, if they make a, a, a massive leap forward. And, and I think that's possible with how good their strength conditioning program is and, and how good Todd Orlando is. Um, if, if they really make a jump, then this team is, is going to be really, really dangerous. And the, more likely, I think they're going to have ups and downs and, 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 you know, I think offensive line, uh, another key problem there where you're replacing a couple, couple starters, and then you got to keep Sam healthy. Uh, they don't have really a, a proven backup who's played at all. So, um, you know, there's certainly, I think, some question marks there. But I, 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 I like the way you framed it, and I, I kind of put it this way. I think last season, I think Tom Herman said kind of consistently, he felt like that team sort of overachieved. You know, they, they really didn't blow anybody out last year. Yeah, they had a strange right. season. They, if you look at some of the teams on the lesser teams on the schedule, they had some close wins. But some of the better teams, or at least more talented teams on the schedule, they really rose to the occasion and had some great wins. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, but there are games like, like Baylor and uh, Kansas State and Kansas where they're playing a lot closer than they probably should have. So, um, you know, even Tulsa last year. So, you know, I think that in some ways I feel like I think this could be a 10-win team that feels like a way more legitimate 10-win team than maybe last year's one did that – that scrapped out a lot of close games that, that could have lost a bunch more than they did. Um, I, I don't know that you're going to call this group uh, a group of overachievers. I, I think the upside is, is very exciting for them. It's just, can, can they kind of hold it all together and, uh, and find a way to get to nine win nine, nine or 10 wins, get back to the big 12 title game, you know, find a way to beat Oklahoma once or twice. I just think the things they're, they're leaning on are just not proven. And, and I think a year from now, especially with Ellinger as a senior, you feel like all you, you're feeling a, really good about how it's all kind of set up for next year. But this year, can you kind of take that big jump of, of proving that, uh, you know, you're going to be an, an annual contender? Yeah, I, I would say this. In today's college football, the elite programs get a lot of production out of redshirt freshmen and sophomore because they're, they're recruiting sure. elite players. And that's what Texas has been diving into that pool over the last couple of years. So it's not completely uncommon to see teams – that take big step forwards with younger teams. I would say like Ohio State, I think when they won in 2014 was a good example of a team that sort of arrived a year early. If you looked up like yeah. the stars yeah. on that team, Zeke and Bosa, a lot were a lot of them were sophomores, but they mm-hmm. just all were so talented and they clicked. And essentially that's what Tom Herman is trying to build, right? He's building, he's recruiting those type of athletes and trying to build that type of program. So it wouldn't be totally out of the out of the realm of possibility that all of a sudden this sophomore redshirt freshman heavy team with a lot of talented kids in that class do take a massive step forward because I think you see that in college football at the elite level. But again, I'm just going to take a more conservative approach. Yeah, I'm with you, and I and I think there's a couple of things that are important. They do have great player leadership. I think Ellinger and Colin Johnson and and. Brandon Jones and some of the guys they've come back. Like, I think that's not a question mark for this group. And I think they, they see the potential for this offense to just have a lot more firepower and, and score a lot more points this year. Um, even with losing Brew McCoy, like you, you, you feel like you've got uh, Keontae, excuse me, Keontae Ingram, uh, the, the sophomore running back who they feel like is ready to take off. Uh, Jordan Whittington, a true freshman who's, who's a, an incredible athlete offensively. Uh, you've got a lot of depth at wide receiver. Okay at tight end, but you've got a lot of depth, not just with Colin Johnson, but uh, with, with Devin DuVernay and, and Jake Smith and Brennan Eagles and some of these younger guys that you're plugging into the lineup there. Um, they, they feel like they have a chance to go out and be really, really dangerous on offense if they can keep guys healthy and they can get you know some steady play from the offensive line. So 
this could be, uh, you know, they have the makings to be a really fun team and, and one that uh, sort of, you know, I think that LSU game early in the season is is sort of that, that massive test of, of where they at. Okay, so... And by the way, I, I had to giggle a little bit when you said the loss of Brew McCoy. Like, was, was he there? Was, was that, did, that, did that even happen? Was that yeah, a dream he, sequence? He, he came and went, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, hey man, that's 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 life in the portal world, you know. <laughs> All right, there are four Big Twelve schools with new coaches. Uh, Texas Tech has Matt Wells in year one. Uh, West Virginia has Neil Brown in year one. Chris Kleiman, I keep saying Kleeman, which is wrong. Chris Kleiman is now the new coach at Kansas State, taking over for Bill Snyder, uh, the legend and the icon there. And Les Miles is the coach Kansas, which is uh, probably maybe more interesting than it is important. But you got those four new coaches, Max Olson. I want you to tell me which of the four is best positioned to have a good season this year, which of the four would you buy long-term and which of the four do you think has the toughest job? And that's probably, I know that's probably, do we, do easy... we need to ask it? I mean, well, do we... well only because, <laughs> only, well, yeah, I guess only because of, you know, maybe expectation level, you could make the argument that if less just gets to bowl games in the next couple of years, that would be, you know, a great job, but give me the, the one who's best set up to have a good season this year. Yeah, I think that's Texas Tech. Um, I, I like Matt Wells. I think he brought together a good staff that, that is going to fit Lubbock quite well. Um, that's a team that I think when you look at the way the Big 12 shook out last year, when you see Oklahoma State and TCU down a little bit last year, uh, Texas Tech should have stepped up and they should have won seven, eight games. And uh, and once again, just sort of kind of struggled, struggled to uh, avoid mediocrity, had a lot of injuries at quarterback, kind of a crazy amount of injuries with all three of them getting hurt. Um, but that, I, I think Texas Tech should have been better than they were last year, and uh, I think they bring enough back with this team uh, that you feel like, uh, it, to me, it's pretty clear that Texas Tech is 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 in the best shape of those. But the, I think they're, they're still probably kind of a bull bubble team, right? They're still they're probably uh, you know going into November needing to win a couple games to to get to <laughs> to get to six or seven. So um, you know that's kind of where they've been for for years, and and they need to uh, to break out of that funk and. Uh, I really like Alan Bowman. Um, you know, he's healthy after going through all the crazy injuries he went through last year. Uh, I think for, for a true sophomore, a great leader for that program. Uh, you've got some pieces, a, a good offensive line, uh, you know, one of the most experienced offensive lines in the country. Um, you've, I, I like some of the guys they've got back on defense. And they've done a really nice job of adding grad transfers in, in some key spots to, to try and get better right away. So um, I, I think the fact that their their defense – is not straying too far from where they've been. Their offense uh, under David Yost is is really uh, fits nicely in the Big 12 and is, I, I don't think, a, a big dramatic leap from what, what they were doing under Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, I think that makes for a smoother transition. And uh, I, I think it's a team that's, uh, you know, got enough leadership back that you feel like they have a chance to, to win six or seven if thing go, things go right. Um Let's see. What, what, what was your next one? What was well, the other one? The here? other one was let, let's go with uh, which one do you think you would buy? Long term buy. Yeah, long term buy. Okay, uh, I, I love Neil Brown. I, I think that at West Virginia, it's going to take time. Um, you know, Dana Holgerson kind of left at the right time, where they they just graduated all of their player leadership on, on really on both sides of the ball with um, you know Will Greer and David Sills and David Long and and, and all those guys that moved on. Um, so they're they're from an experience standpoint, they're really kind of starting from scratch at West Virginia. And uh, so, th- so this year, I think it's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to take a lot of things bouncing right. I think for them to get to six wins, but um, I think long-term that that's, he, he's going to be a great fit uh, in Morgantown. I like the staff he's put together there. Um, and, and I think that uh, clearly West Virginia, I think West Virginia fans are really happy with him. I, I think it's just, it's going to require some patience. Uh, and I think that's probably true for Kansas state too, where, um, you know, to me, like, I don't really get hung up on the FCS to, to FBS jump. Um, I, I think Chris Kleiman has, has a championship blueprint, clearly, that he developed at North Dakota State. And it's one that fits Manhattan, Kansas. It, it ones that, it's one that fits not only their, their historical kind of style of play under Bill Snyder, but, but also just recruiting in that region. So um, I, I really I, I, th- I am optimistic about, um, you know, what he and his staff can do there. It's going to take some. You know, they they say the cupboard's not bare there, but I think it is going to take some recruiting to kind of get 
where they want to get, and they've done a really solid job so far. Um, you know, it, it's I think it's a team that's got a bunch of question marks, but it's got got some some high end players, and and I think does have a chance to uh, to get to six if some things bounce the right way. So I really like those two for the long term. I think those were the right hires. Let and, me let uh, me do I just the, might not see it this year. Let me let me frame something this way with Kansas and Kansas State because Kansas State again maybe not a, a rebuild from scratch, but nonetheless in a position of transition. Now you could say in some ways they are more stable now even with a new coach cycling in simply because there was that specter hanging over the program of how long is Bill Snyder going to be here? He is a wonderful yeah. coach and a Hall of Famer, but at some point this is probably going to end and that maybe was whittling away at the program a little bit. So I would ask you this, does Kansas State being in flux help Kansas? Does that give Kansas an opportunity to maybe make a little more ground up because Kansas State is trying to find, a, you know, its way under new leadership? Yeah, you know, I think that's I, I think that's a fair observation. Um, I, I think that uh, <laughs> you don't sound too convinced. Though. Well, no, I, I, I just I think that uh, Kansas State didn't hire Ron Prince here. You know what I mean? I think they hired a pretty a pretty proven, competent guy who um, I, I think is not daunted by the, the challenge of Kansas State. And and I think it, it probably helped everybody in Manhattan that, uh, you know, they were able to pull off a relatively clean break. You have to give Gene Taylor a lot of credit for avoiding kind of the disaster that everyone was sort of anticipating. Uh, you know, when to, to have a losing season like they did, they were able to make this transition go, uh, I think, probably a lot smoother than most people expected. And, um, you know, I, so I, I think that uh, – uh, yes, I, it, there is going to be a little bit of rebuilding time here for Kansas State uh, as they get the hang of this league and as they restock the roster a little bit. And I think that does provide an opportunity for Kansas. And I think that uh, where Kansas needs to strike uh, is certainly in recruiting and in, in, in the fact that uh, kids know Les Miles. They know he's won a national championship. Um, he's he's obviously a character, and, and, and I think they've done – they've shown so far that, um, you know, in, in, in building – a much stronger support staff around him than David Beatty have with, with a much deeper roster of, of recruiting staffers. Um, I, I think they they understand that the talent part is, is a huge problem, that there's a huge debt there from a scholarship standpoint, and, and they've got to fix that as quickly as possible. So I like what they've done from a recruiting standpoint of, you just got to get, you know, you've got to get big 12 caliber players at Kansas. They, they don't have a ton. And uh, I guess the, the hope there is that Les Miles can, can breed some, excitement and enthusiasm the kids come to Kansas I wonder if you you talk about how what they've done around him as far as support staff and we always a, a term that gets thrown around the CEO coach and the coach is sort of the front face of the organization to a certain degree but so much of what his effectiveness it comes with how he delegates and who he who he hires and his staff and I do wonder if at Kansas that was really is the model you know less becomes the guy who sort of gets boosters excited and is a deal closer in recruiting. But ultimately, what will be the success if Kansas has success is what they have around less as far as infrastructure that has been lacking. And Les's job, most first and foremost, is to build some enthusiasm and to get some donors to write checks. Yeah, there's there's no doubt, and, and they you know they raised a lot of money to for for a stadium renovation. And when Jeff Long got there, he figured out, wait, we need to be putting this money towards actually building up our our football staff and actually uh, giving giving um, our new coach as much support as possible in, in turning this thing around because they have challenges from a numbers standpoint that that nobody in the Big Twelve and really nobody at the Power Five level is dealing with. And so uh, I, I I applaud them on that for understanding there's a big problem here and we need to put a lot more effort into figuring out how to, how to crack that and solve that. But um, you know, it's, it's tough for Kansas. Like you look at the rest of this conference and you, you, we talk about nine programs that, you know, have a chance to go bowling every year. Like you gotta be different, right? You gotta do something a little bit different from everybody else. You've seen what that's done for Iowa state when they embraced, Hey, we want to play great defense. We want to run the ball. That's what we want to build this all on. And they, and they hired the right guy to do that. Uh, I, I just, from a style standpoint, I really want to see, you know, how different Les Miles, um, you know, wants to be from where they were at LSU or, or, or if it's going to be kind of that same old style. And, um, you know, certainly you can't get the studs at Kansas that you could get every year at LSU. So how what, sort of what's the, the long term, <laughs> what's the long term move there in terms of making Kansas 
a, a team that can can steal you know three wins or four wins in Big Twelve play and, and get to a bowl. Uh, I, I don't know, but it's going to be an adventure to watch and figure it out. Yeah, and, and again, it could be very entertaining because of less. If, if nothing sure. else, from our standpoint, regardless of how that ends at Kansas, there's a good chance, or how it goes at Kansas, I think there's a good chance it will be entertaining because Les can be a pretty entertaining guy. So I think we've hit everybody. Yes, we have. The good thing about the Big 12 is only 10 teams. With other conference previews, there have been points where it's like, oh, I forgot about Duke in the ACC. And, uh, oh, yeah, I got to squeeze in Illinois in the Big 10. But luckily with the Big 12, only 10 teams, and we have gotten to all of them. Let, so, let me ask you this, though. Can I ask you just one thing from the big picture standpoint here? Yeah, sure. If, if, if the Big 12 has strong enough parity that you feel like teams – Oh, one through one through eight are all really good. Is that is that going to be? Are, I, I sort of wonder if this is almost going to be like some of those Pac-12 years where they just beat up on each other a little bit too much, and, and the Big 12 champion has two losses and it costs them a playoff spot. Yeah, and we're we're heading. You you set yourself up perfectly because that's where I'm heading. Is is that's going to be the next question? And I, I this is what I would say. I think I feel like that's always been a. a possibility in the Big 12. Now, Oklahoma has consistently separated itself and, and kept itself above the chaff um, yes, and above the fray. One misstep here, but has always been able to recover from it. I do wonder if, if Oklahoma is in as good a position this year to recover from it. However, I also don't think the middle is as good this year because of all these transitioning programs. Like in the last couple of years, you had situations where Oklahoma was clearly the best but two through seven or eight, as you've said, or even almost two through nine, were right. dangerous teams where Kansas was a rollover and Oklahoma was was pretty much a sure thing every week. But two through nine were who knows what you're going to get from week to week. I think this year, once you get past three or four into that six or seven range, you know, I think West Virginia is going to have a really tough year. I mean, they're losing a lot of players. They're just going to be down bodies at West Virginia. Kansas, obviously, is going to be Kansas. I, I imagine the transition for climbing is going to be at least one difficult year. So I don't know if I, I – I feel like as much as Oklahoma may have slid back, I think the middle has moved back a little bit this year. So I guess yeah, long-winded long long you know, long way of the, saying the, I, I think you could get what you have, but I do think maybe Oklahoma is in a pretty good position to avoid having that upset by the number five team. Yeah, I think that's fair, but, you know, it's it's funny. Like, for, for how loaded Oklahoma was last year and to have the best quarterback in the country, the highest winner and all that, uh, you go back and look and, um, <laughs> you know, they, they beat Texas Tech by five and Alan Bowman was knocked out of the second half. Of yeah, that's, a good, you know, that's they, a good point. They, they, it came down to an extra point or two point conversion attempt uh, against Oklahoma State. They won that game by one. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they beat West Virginia by three points on the road. So they 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 had a couple close games and, and you, you had, you know, the superior quarterback and you had kind of the edge in all those games. And, you know, they had a couple of those games that were a little bit tighter. Uh, in, in 17, you played Oklahoma State super close. You played Kansas State uh, closer than you expected. You played Texas really close. Uh, a seven-point game with Iowa State. I, I, I'm fascinated to see is, is like the quarterback thing for them has always been the tiebreaker over everybody, and it's helped them survive the, the tight games you end up playing in the Big 12. And, you know, if, if one or two of those doesn't go their way, then, then it, it's a very different-looking league. But the same, I think, is, as we said, is, is totally true of Texas. Texas – is is a couple weird breaks from, you know, winning seven games or eight games last year. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, it it feels like it could be a, a volatile year in the league, and and that uh, that certainly could cost you a playoff bit. I feel like right. And and as much as I maybe I say I will downgrade West Virginia, I'll downgrade Kansas State a little bit there. But right, I mean, we we began this talking about how. You know, when you count out TCU, that's a bad idea. And maybe this is a year TCU surges forward and Oklahoma State surges forward after a little bit of an off year. So I'll put you on the spot because the question was going to be, who's going to play in the Big 12 title game? Who's going to win it? And will that team make the playoff? And you sort of hinted that maybe where you're going with this, but I'll put you on the spot to make those predictions. Oh, man. I The, the, the hard thing for me, I guess this is true every year of every team, is just like, if Iowa State or Texas has has injuries at quarterback, I, I, I then then I think they fall off kind of hard, right? So I, I feel like it's one of those two teams in the Big Twelve title game. 
against Oklahoma. I, I'm not short in Oklahoma by any means. I, I, I think there's still a, the, the opportunity for them to win 10-plus games, 11, 12, you know, be in the playoff. If, if they're just a little bit better in a bunch of areas and the quarterback is not a big drop-off, then, then yeah, they, they can be in the playoff. But uh, I think right now I still lean towards towards Oklahoma just based on them having that championship experience. And uh, But, boy, if it's a Texas-Oklahoma rematch in Dallas – Texas could find a way to win that. I, it's it, it. I I think that we're all hoping for uh, for Texas and Oklahoma to play twice this season, just with how where where they're both at. But boy, Iowa State could could sneak up into this and and uh, be a team that neither Texas nor Oklahoma has any fun playing against. Did I pin you down on that though? Did I get you? A, a will Oklahoma? If Oklahoma wins it, will they make the playoff? Will the Big Twelve have a playoff team? How about that? You know, I. Like I, I, I guess I'm sort of with everybody else and feeling like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia are in. I, I think I, I, I personally like can't make up my mind on if it's if I feel like one of those Big Ten teams is it has a chance to be that that fourth team or or if it's Oklahoma or Texas. I'm gonna say no for now, but okay. uh, but certainly open open to being wrong about that. Okay, I twisted your arm on making that, but that's okay. It's predictions everybody will forget. Nobody will hold it against you. I hope so. Those are my favorite kind. <laughs> there you go. Max Olson from The Athletic. You've done a, a yeoman's work again covering covering the country, but also covering the Big 12 here today on the Big 12 Preview Podcast. Thanks for the insight. Appreciate the time. And hopefully we will see each other at a press in a press box real soon. Hope so. Happy to, happy to join you anytime, Ralph. Thanks a lot, man. And now three and out. First down. Preseason practice is in full swing, which is great news, except for one thing. Injuries. Just in the last couple of days, Maryland, Oregon lost key contributors at wide receiver. Auburn receiver Anthony Schwartz is uncertain for the first game of the season against the Ducks because of a hand injury. Over in the Big 12, Oklahoma starting quarterback Trey Norwood could miss a big chunk of the season with a knee injury. The best news from your team at this time of year is no news at all. Second down, let's throw out some potential breakout players for the Big 12. You can start in Oklahoma, where the Sooners have to replace four starting offensive linemen, but nobody has been doing it better than Coach Bill Biedenbaugh in recent years. So expect players like Adrian Easley and Marquise Hayes to be the next all Big 12 performers on the offensive line for the Sooners. At Texas, cornerback Jalen Green will step into a secondary that lost several experienced players. As Max even said during his Texas look ahead, they've got a lot of inexperience in that secondary. Green is one of the guys they're expecting to take a big jump forward this year as a sophomore. Over at TCU, Ocon Mathis could be the next great pass rusher for the Horn Frogs. Third down. So I'm not quite as high on Texas coming into this season as some others are. So I'm looking for another team to face Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. And I keep coming back around to Iowa State. I really like what Matt Campbell is doing there on the defensive side of the ball. They lose a couple of very big-time playmakers, but Brock Purdy, a quarterback, has a chance to make up for that, as well as playing behind a good offensive line. I'm also leaning toward the Big 12 winner not making the playoff. Who knows? Maybe Iowa State wins the Big 12, and sort of shocks the world this year. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Podcast One. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening, and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.